If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Um, very warm welcome to you. We are diving into the third week of our series on the book of 2 Timothy. If you've missed the first two um, parts of the series, you can catch up online. They're on our website. Go and have a listen to them. Uh, put them on a podcast. Catch up on there. The, the letter we're looking at was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy from where the letter gets his name. And Timothy was a minister of the gospel, a church leader who was younger than Paul and kind of like Paul's son in the faith. And Paul is writing a letter to him to encourage him to keep going in his ministry. And this is particularly relevant because Paul at the time, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament, um, he was at the end of his life. He was currently in a Roman jail. And he was facing execution. And as far as we know, this is the last letter he wrote. And so he is passing on um, his kind of his final instructions to Timothy, who he loved dearly. He describes him as his dear child. Uh, and he is trying to encourage him uh, to keep going in the faith, keep following after Jesus, keep believing in Jesus, keep sticking close to him. And the image uh, that we're using for this, the image that comes up, in the uh, in the letter itself is the image of, of a runner running a race and a baton is being passed. So Tim, uh, Paul is passing on to Timothy saying, this is what I've learned. This is what I know. I'm now passing on the commission to you, which is why we call it keep going. And we're using that imagery um, for us to kind of get a handle on it. And Paul has run his race faithfully. He has served Jesus. He has endured suffering. He has gone through all the trials and he knows that he is now finishing the end of his life. And he is trying to give Timothy what he needs so that he, too, may run well after Jesus all the days of his life. So if you've got your Bible and you go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter one, I'm going to read a section uh, starting at verse eight, starting at verse eight. And I'm going to read down to verse 18. So it's a slightly longer section here. So if you follow along as I read it, it says this, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are all aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Homogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. All right. The big idea what we're going to look at this evening is that those who are faithful Christians will suffer. But we are to keep going by knowing and living out the gospel. Those who are faithful Christians will suffer but we are to keep going by knowing and living out the gospel. So in the previous section, 
Uh, Paul uh, has reminded Timothy that he stands in the line of faith with his family. He says he's got a sincere faith like his mother and then his grandmother, and he's a fan into flame, the gift that God has given him. And then he goes and talks um, about moving on to the next thing. He's saying the spirit of God is in you. And then he goes on to the subject of suffering and the fact that Timothy needs to keep going in suffering or despite suffering and so what we're going to look at in this passage i want to look at the what the why and the how and then at the end there's a couple of examples that paul uses to illustrate what this is like so the what the why and the how of suffering the first one is the what Uh, and if you read that section that we just read and you go back and look at it the first word is important and in my translation it just says therefore and the reason it's that therefore is there is because it links it back to what paul has said previously and paul has literally just said timothy you have a sincere faith So you should fan into the flame what God has put in you and that you should remember that you live with a spirit of power, love and self-control. And because of that, the Holy Spirit's in you. Therefore, as a result of that, he says something. He says, now, because of that, because you're someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, who loves God, who has a sincere faith, he says that you should not be ashamed of the testimony about um, our Lord. He says you should not be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord. And he, he has this verse, if you look in verse 8, there's a kind of a negative uh, and there's a positive uh, things that he should do. And he should say, first we'll say he should not be ashamed of the message of the testimony he says about our Lord Jesus. And so this is basically the message that Paul would have been sharing because Paul had been saved. He'd met the risen Lord Jesus. He spent his uh, life planting churches, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And he says you should not be ashamed of the message about Christ is the one who came, he died, he rose again, uh, which for many people is uh, was a problem that the Messiah actually had to die. That would have been a real problem for Jews. Greeks wouldn't have understood. He said, but that's the message we preach. You must not be ashamed of that message. You must not water that down or change it with the tides of culture and everything that's going on. He said, you mustn't be ashamed of the message, Timothy. You mustn't be embarrassed about it. You mustn't be apologetic for it. You must proclaim it faithfully. And he also says, you mustn't be afraid of the messenger which was Paul at that time, because he was a prisoner and he was a Roman prisoner. And there would have been a great stigma that would have come to that. Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And if Timothy was associated with Paul because he was his friend, he was a co-minister. He had worked with Paul in many situations. There had been something that would have come on Timothy. They well, you're like him and he's in prison and he's about to face execution and, and he's going to suffer. And so actually there was a temptation to distance himself from Paul. So I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be like that. And Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the message. Don't be ashamed of the messenger. And then he says positively, he says, actually, you are to pursue the, um, he says, share in suffering. Keep going in suffering because of the power of God that was with you. And he's saying that actually as a reality of preaching the message and proclaiming Jesus faithfully, he's saying you will suffer as one of God's servants. That is an inevitability, Timothy. If you proclaim the gospel faithfully, suffering will come suffering will come and Paul says he is to keep going and he says three reasons why if you go through verses 9 10 11 um, and 12 there are three reasons why he should keep going in suffering and keep following going after the model that Paul has given me and keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the first one is that Jesus has called Paul he says because he's called me you need to keep going and he says you have saved us and called us to a holy calling he says we have been saved and called and the point is that paul had been called to this mission by the lord himself 
He had been called to mission. And he also says, it's us, you and me, Timothy, we're both in the same boat here. I'm not more special than you. We've both been called by God. And we're reading um, the book of Acts with our boys. And we've just done uh, chapter nine, uh, where Paul meets the risen Lord Jesus. He was actually Saul at the time, his name was. And he was a violent, evil man, persecuting Christians, uh, putting them in prison and being responsible for the death of one man named Stephen. And he meets the risen Lord Jesus and he is radically transformed. His whole life is turned around and he was called by Jesus to be one of his servants and to be his apostle and to go around preaching the good news. And Paul is saying that calling came on him. It's a finished act. God has called him to himself and then asked him to go out and preach the good news and said, Timothy, you and I, we're like that. And because God has called me, he says, I'm going to keep going. And he also described his calling as a holy calling. And this points back to God. Holiness is the word that's used to describe God more than any other word uh, in the Bible. And uh, just by sheer numbers, it means other. It means different. It means separate. It means completely pure. This is who God is. This is our calling is a holy calling. It's something that is beyond this world. There is a sacredness to it, a preciousness to it. There is something about uh, the divine in the fact that we have been called by God to be his servant. And then he gives a quick summary. Um, of the gospel so um, Jesus has called um, Paul and he basically then gives a quick summary of the gospel if you look at verses 9 and 10 there is a quick summary to what he has been saved by what is the message that saved him and called him and he said it's not according to works it's not about us it's not about how smart we are or clever we are or how wise we are or how diligent we search for God no human can take credit for their salvation and calling and Paul had every reason to take credit because he described himself as the most faithful follower of God's law he was a Jew of Jew he was from the tribe of Benjamin he was circumcised on the eighth day he was just he was that guy who'd done everything right but it all counted for nothing because God does not um, base our salvation on our works but on his grace alone and he's basically saying it's not according to my works I can't take any credit for it but he says but because of his own purpose and grace he's basically saying it's all about God it's all about God's purposes it's all about God's grace and everything that he's worked in his life and he's saying actually this grace is unmerited favor it's been given to all believers it's been given to us in Christ Jesus, not just to Paul himself, but to him and Timothy, he's putting all of the believers in there. This grace has been uh, called upon us in Jesus. Jesus is the one who's manifested it when he came to earth. He lived, he died on the cross, he rose again. But he's saying, actually, it's even broader than that. This, this plan of God, this purpose actually existed before the ages began. He says, actually, right back before creation, God had a plan to save, to call men and women to himself in Christ. And it's come through the appearing of Christ. He's kind of brought it into the here and now. But this was always his plan. It was always what he was going to do. And the coming of Christ has achieved a couple of things. It says he's abolished death. Death has been rendered ineffective. Its power has been neutralized because the sting of death was sin. And sin was been, has been dealt with on the cross. And so actually there's nothing to fear in death because we don't have to face the punishment for our sin because Jesus has taken it. So we can faith, uh, face that knowing that when we reach judgment, God will find us righteous because we are in Christ. And he says that is brilliant. He says, and he, and he says it negatively. He says death has been abolished. And then positively he's saying we've been brought to life and immortality 
of light through the gospel. We talked about immortality uh, is the incorruptible, the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus that is manifested as the Holy Spirit uh, brings us alive. We are born again. We are filled with the Spirit and we live that out. We are, Jesus has triumphed over death. So we have nothing to fear from that. The light, the gospel is the opening of eyes of believers to see the purposes of God, um, to no longer be stuck in our darkened ways in humanity but understanding the gospel message understanding who jesus is understanding all the amazing things he's done for us and where we now stand in him and and the future that we have are all wonderful so paul's first saying is actually you keep going suffering because jesus called paul the second thing he says paul says is he commissioned me so not only has he called me and saved me he says he commissioned me in verse 11 he says for which i have been appointed for which i've been appointed divine commissioning that point uh, that that kind of points to and he said i've been called to be a preacher which is a herald one who proclaims good news who can and says there is great news a herald comes into a town and says i've got something to tell you and he says i'm also called to be an apostle which is one who was sent out by god to go out into the world and do um, his purposes and then a teacher one who is an instructor who passes on the knowledge they have from god and that's all paul is was i'm a preacher i'm an apostle i'm a teacher i'm someone who's been sent out and if you follow his story through the book of acts you see paul again and again working out these roles going to different places heralding the good news training teaching people all the great things about god so paul has been called by god uh, he's been commissioned by God. And the last thing Paul says why uh, he should keep going and suffering is because um, he, uh, Paul, uh, sorry, Jesus will keep Paul. Jesus will keep Paul. Look at verse 12, what he says. He says, I suffer as I do because he's a preacher and apostle and teacher and he's being faithful to God. So suffering comes. He says, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted me. Paul makes it clear that his suffering is caused by the preaching of the gospel. If you preach the gospel, you will suffer. Paul is, is saying, and if you read his ministry generally through the book of Acts, you will see suffering came to him through proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Ministry and suffering go hand in hand. But he says, in fact, I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, the opposite. He says, I know who I believed. I know whom I believed in this situation. And he says, I am convinced. I am fully convinced. I am fully in agreement with i'm fully committed to the message of jesus because i know he will guard me he will guard what's been entrusted to me and it's like it's like the the image he's saying is like you've been given something paul's been given something a commodity of something that he is to protect and look after and that he will one day eventually return and paul is saying the gospel message is that commodity that's the thing he's been given my god you've been given this message this message of life this message of salvation this message of hope and God has given it to Paul and God's in Paul is saying, I will keep it. I will keep it in him safe till that one day. There is a day coming. It's referring to the day of judgment, uh, Christ's return. And Jesus and Paul is saying, I'm going to keep it until that day. I've been entrusted with something and I will guard it. I will guard the message. I will not dilute it. I will not change it. And I know by the grace of God, he will keep me in it until that day. So we've seen the what and the why of it. And finally, the how. How do we keep going in suffering? How does Timothy keep going in suffering? Paul simply says, you are to follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. You are to follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. So Paul talks about the message. The message that he is to do is to continue in what Paul has given him. The pattern basically means model or standard. It's a reliable guide. 
that Timothy is to come back to, those sound words uh, to heard from Paul, which is the gospel message that Paul has uh, been preaching throughout the years. And Timothy, we've had the privilege of listening to that over and over again and learning uh, from that. And so there's the gospel message. Um, is how we should do it by keep proclaiming the gospel, sticking close to the gospel, learning the gospel, understanding the gospel, knowing the gospel in his heart. That's how you're going to keep going. And then he talks about the messenger. He says you should do this in faith and love. That's how you conduct yourself, Timothy. You conduct yourself in faith to God and love for God. They're your things. You're going to trust in God and you are to love him. You are to love him. That's how you keep going in this. That's how you do it. And you do this by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Again, Paul is bringing that solidarity. That's both of us. And that verse 14, if you flick back in your Bible um, to the previous section we looked last week, you'll find the same again, talking about the power of the spirit that is in Timothy to give him power, love and self-control. And he's just bringing it back full circle. He says, you do this all by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't do it in your own strength because you haven't got that, Timothy. You have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to face suffering. You're a gospel minister. You're a church leader. You're in Ephesus. You've got a church that's growing. People are being saved. There are people coming against you. We're going to read about more of them as we get into the letter. How do you keep going in this difficult situation? How do you keep going when you face opposition? How do you keep going when you find uh, face suffering? You do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you do it. You do it by knowing the gospel, being filled with the good news, reminding yourself of the gospel that you were saved and called and that sin has been uh, dealt with in your life. You have a future that is secure, but you'd be filled of the Holy Spirit. And he says, finally, in that last bit, that verse 14, he says, guard the good deposit that's entrusted you. Guard it, Timothy. This gospel message is something that you should fight for and fight over and you should protect it like a soldier protecting treasure. On the, standing in front of a door saying, none will go through this. I will protect this with my life. Whatever's in there is something I'm going to guard. I'm going to look after. And Timothy, uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to be like that because suffering is going to come into your life, Timothy. Suffering is inevitable. You are not to be ashamed of the gospel. You're not to be ashamed of gospel ministers, but you are to share in suffering like them by understanding the gospel message and being full of the gospel, um, full of the Holy Spirit that comes from that and living it out. And then Paul at the end just sticks in a couple of examples to kind of earth this, which suddenly goes from kind of high sort of this is what the gospel message is, high sort of theology to something very kind of mundane and ordinary. And he brings in real people's lives. He says, look at these people's lives. And he uses two, uh, three people he names and he used, divides them into two categories and he puts them one on one side and one on the other. And he first of all, he gives a negative example, a negative. He says, you're aware that all who in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Homogenes. Now, what they're saying is basically Paul's a prisoner. He's a criminal. Uh, and all the stigma that comes through that being in a Roman jail, facing execution, all that negativity. And these guys have turned away from him. They have deserted him. They have abandoned him. They have defected the faith. So they've left Paul, but they've also left the gospel message and the hardship of ministry. And so they basically rejected the things of God. They clearly were aware of it. They were kind of part of what Paul was doing, but he's saying they've just rejected it. They've gone um, away from that. And the bit I find most telling with this or the most, um, what's the word, the most scary about this is the only thing we know about these two guys is what's written here. This is it. This is their entire Bible biography. There are other characters in the Bible that we know 
a little about, some we know a lot about, but Phygelus and Hermogenes, all we know is they deserted the faith. Suffering came, hardship came, difficulty came, the going got tough and they left and they ran away and they turned away from Paul. They turned away from serving the gospel. They turned away uh, from ministry uh, and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And it's just a tragic example. And he says there are those people like that, that when difficulty comes, Timothy, when suffering comes, when hardship comes, they just give up and flee. But they also says there's a positive example who gets a few more verses. And this is a guy called Onesiphorus. And him and his household, Paul says, he gives a list of things. He names four things that this guy did in the face of Paul's suffering and difficulty. And he calls out to God that God would grant this man mercy, grant him mercy, that God would look favor on him, that God would show compassion to him because of what Onesiphorus had done for Paul. And what does it say? It says, he, he refreshed me, which meant he, bred, he brought food and helped in practical way. And it says he did it often. So there was a regularity about this. Now, why was this a big deal? Well, in Roman prisons, they wouldn't have fed him. There was a chance that he would literally have got no food there. Unlike our modern prison system, they get fed regularly and there are people monitoring that. Roman prisons, it might not have been the case like that. Paul literally would have been just dumped in a cell and left. And so Onesiphorus came and refreshed him, brought stuff to him, clothing and blankets and food, and he did it frequently. He did it frequently. This shows a huge depth of commitment because he puts himself on the line because if he keeps coming to greet a prisoner, they could look at him and say, are you an accomplice of this guy? Are you doing the same thing? He's in prison. Should you be in prison? We don't know, but there's a stigma that comes with that. And so he, he often refreshed Paul. It also says that he was not ashamed of his chains. He wasn't ashamed of Paul's situation. He wasn't ashamed of the fact that he was going to visit a prisoner who was a prisoner of Rome, the great empire and all that that meant. He wasn't ashamed to be associated with Paul. He wasn't ashamed to sow a solidarity with Paul. Yes, he's my friend. I know him. I love him. I'm for him. I'm behind him. I'm serving him. It says also, it says the third thing, it says he searched for me earnestly. That means that when he came to him, we're kind of trying to fill in the blanks. He might not have known Paul was in prison, but then he heard. He said, Paul's here. He's in prison. Well, where is he? And so he searched. And, and that earnestly um, kind of points to a zeal and a, a not willingness to give up. He said, I will find this guy. I'm going to go door to door. I'm going to go through every prison and every cell. I'm going to keep going to the soldiers and the governor and whoever to find out where Paul is. And when I found him, then I'm going to serve him. So we refreshed Paul. He wasn't ashamed of Paul. He searched for Paul. And then Paul finally kind of adds in that actually he had been, he had served Paul in other contexts. He says uh, back in Ephesus where Timothy was, he's saying, actually, you know what this guy's like. This guy's a servant. And he served us when we were together in Ephesus. And now I'm in Rome and he's in Rome. He's still serving he's still looking after me he's still looking out for me and he is the opposite of Fidelis and Homogenes who when the going got tough they legged it they just dropped the ball and ran and went after better things in life but when Onesiphorus heard that Paul was suffering he went there and got right stuck in he said I'm going to suffer with you Paul I'm going to do everything I can to serve you it must have put him out it put his own kind of freedom on the line possibly he's he's identifying with Paul and everything 
um, that Paul's going on. And he says, God, the, would the Lord grant him mercy on that day? I don't know if, what Paul was thinking at that time, but he might have been thinking about the words of Jesus we find in Matthew 25, when uh, Jesus says that when you served uh, those who are in prison, when you served the weak, when you fed the poor and the outcast, you did it to me. When you served the broken and the hurting and those on the edge, then you were serving me. And Anesiphorus was doing that. He went to Paul when he was at his lowest and weakest and had nothing to offer him. And he still served. And what we've got here, we've got two contrasting images, one of desertion and one of dedication, one of shame and one of courage. And Paul is saying, Timothy, by the Holy Spirit, be like Anesiphorus. Be like him. Keep going in this time when you face suffering. OK, a couple of things to finish. I've got three questions to ask us out of this passage that hopefully will challenge us hopefully provoke us in kind of how we can apply this. So as I go through these, have a think uh, about them and kind of what they might mean to your life. So the first question, first question I want to ask you out of this is, do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Paul makes it clear in verses 9 and 10, uh, as he does actually in all his letters, what the gospel actually is. And he begs the questions for us as followers of Jesus. If we're not to be ashamed of the gospel or of the testimony of our Lord, uh, as Paul says it, do we know it? Are we learning and growing in it? Do we know the big story of God's purposes laid out in the Bible? Do we know about creation, that God made everything in the beginning and it was good? Do we know about the fall, where everything went wrong, where sin entered the world? And, uh, and uh, since that point, everything is broken. Man's relationship with God has been broken. Man's relationship with creation was broken. Man's relationship with man has been broken. Man's relationship with woman is broken. Everything's broken and wrecked. Then do we know about redemption? where God does everything he can to bring people out of that slavery to sin. He does it literally with the people of Israel through Moses, but then he's doing it through trying to figure he's trying to get them out of sin all the way through the purposes of Israel as they grow into that nation, but they fall again and again into sin. And ultimately it ends in exile where the Northern kingdom is destroyed, the Southern kingdom is destroyed, and they get taken off into Babylon and then they return and it's not the same. And then Jesus comes as the Messiah, the promised one. And he leads his people out of slavery as a better Moses from slavery to sin and he dies on the cross and he pays the penalty um, for sin which is death and then he rises from death before saying it's broken you can now have new life in me and he sends his people out the church and he says go everywhere all the nations all the world preach the good news tell people there is a message where they can come to know God for themselves they can be free from sin and have hope and then finally there is um, consummation where it all comes together when there is restoration and the new heavens and the new earth come and everything is made good. And God is there with all his people from every tribe and every nation. And they worship him and be with him forever. Do you know that? Do you know the personal gospel that means the, the response just me personally? That God made me in his image. That I've rebelled against God. That I have chosen my own way. That Jesus came uh, died in my place for my sin. And I'm now called to respond to that and say, God, I repent of my sin. I, I failed. I've fallen short. And I want to I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be part of your family. The, the way we learn this thing is by prayerfully, daily studying and thinking upon God's word. That's what we've got to be. We've got to be men and women of the word, men and women of God's word that we study and read our Bible on a regular basis. And the more we learn about it, the more we learn about the great story of God, the gospel message, the more we will see of Jesus, the more we'll come to know him, the more we'll come to love him, the more we'll come to worship him because ultimately he is who it's all about. Everything ultimately points to Jesus. 
Everything ultimately is all about him. And as believers, we need to know the gospel. If we're going to guard the gospel, if we're going to grow in the gospel, if we're going to learn and become more like Jesus, we need to know it for ourselves. And if you're not a believer here and you're listening, I just want to encourage you, you need to respond. You need to make that commitment. You need to repent of your sin, turn around, go the other way, put your faith and trust in Jesus and follow him. If you're believers, why not? I make, can I make this suggestion for you? How about trying this exercise this week too? learn and grow in the gospel to guard that deposit that's been given to us as the church the message of jesus is to take verses 9 and 10 which are a short summary of the gospel message and why don't you write them down somewhere on a bit of paper on uh, in your journal i i, I tend to write it down stuff i'm preaching on so i've written it down on the back here why don't you write it down and then just spend this week meditating on it just read it every day maybe probably if you've been following on you probably read the whole of two timothy um this week or last week, you kind of done it. It's a short book. You can just fly through it. How about just taking one verse and really meditating on it, really thinking about it? Ask yourself questions day, like actually, what what does this say about Christ? What does this say about me? What does this say about the gospel message? Learn the gospel message so you can guard through it, guard it yourself, guard that deposit. Second thing, are you living out the gospel? Paul says to Timothy in verse thirteen, follow the pattern of sound words. You are to live in the light of what you know. We to obey the word of God. We are to live out a holy calling, he says in verse 9. It's, there's something holy about it. There's something divine, something of God in it. And are we living out what we believe? Because our beliefs should affect our behavior. If we know the gospel and we're learning it and we're growing it, it should make a difference on how we live. And are you living the life Jesus would have you live in both word and deed? Are you speaking the truth of Jesus in a loving, gracious way? Are you speaking well of others? Are you avoiding gossip and backbiting? Are you refuting lies and speaking out against injustice? Is the words that come you out wholesome, good and kind and meaningful to others? What about the deeds, how you are acting, how you're living? Are you loving and serving your neighbours and your families and your friends and your co-workers, caring for the poor and the broken, being generous with the money God has asked you to steward? Are you avoiding sin and pursuing holiness? Are you working on your marriages and raising your children and loving your grandchildren and being a blessing uh, to all who are around you, being good to your community? Are you living out what you know? Because if we are not, we are functionally ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are functionally living um, in opposition to what we say we believe because we should understand the gospel. We should know the gospel. We should be growing in it. We should be guarding that deposit we've been giving. And then out of that, we should be following the pattern of sound words, living in light of it. And all of those then lead to the final question, which is really the big one. The passage is pointing to, and that is, are you ready to suffer for the gospel? Paul makes it really clear that suffering is inevitable if you are a follower of Jesus. It is a reality we need to face up to. If you are a believer and you faithfully follow Jesus, you will suffer at some point. And this is a particularly hard truth to grapple with in our comfortable, insulated Western lives. But the problem is we're in the minority here in the West compared to the global church and what God is doing worldwide, we're a very small part of it. And there are believers all over the world who are facing, like Paul, prison, uh, suffering, injustice and death because they are believers, because they are followers of Jesus. And we have to be prepared to face that reality. 
that at some point in our life, we will face suffering for the gospel. Who knows where the future goes for this nation? At the moment, it's still socially acceptable to be a Christian, and there is a certain amount of favour. Churches and Christianity are extended, but that might not always be the case. And some of us might be called to other parts of the world at other times where that definitely isn't the case. And are we ready to suffer the gospel? Are we ready to be like Anesiphorus and not end up being a footnote like Phygelus and Homogenes who just quit when the going gets tough? Have we faced that reality in ourselves that God never promised you a comfortable life? God never promised you ease. God never said, I'll deal with all your problems and make everything good. What he did say is, I love you with an eternal love. I will always be with you. I will never leave you. And I have a future that is secure for you. And I will walk with you through the highs and lows of this life. And one day I will take you to a better place. Are we ready to suffer for the gospel? And I'd just like to end on a kind of that point. It's a little bit sobering, but that's the way that the, the text is taking us. And we need to deal with that. And I want to ask you questions. Are you ashamed of the gospel message? Are you ashamed of the messengers? Those who proclaim the gospel fearlessly in this nation and other nations. Are you ready to make a decision now by the Holy Spirit? Say, God, I will follow you come what may. I don't know what the future holds. Are you prepared for God to make life uncomfortable for you? Because things come into it, things happen and say, I'm still going to follow you, even if it gets tough. Even if the money gets tight. Even if my health starts to fail. Even if my friends leave me. Even if just things look bad. If God strips away some of the things we, we take for granted in our Western life, are you still going to follow Jesus? Because I think there's some things we can do to get ready. First one is we need to understand that this is this is where it's heading. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. That basically means come and die. And God might not necessarily ask you to die. Most of us, he won't. But actually, he's still saying we are to live a life of service and we are to live a life of suffering and to embrace that. And we need to make that decision now by the grace, by the Holy Spirit that's in us, Knowing we've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. We're to do it by staying in community, staying part of God's family, staying part of God's church. Whenever suffering and hardship comes, the worst thing you could do is separate yourself from God's people. That is what the enemy would love you to do, isolate you and then destroy you. Stay part of God's community, stay part of God's family, stay connected in with other believers who will encourage us and carry us and help us. There'll be others in your life who will be your Nesiphorus. And you will be an essay for us for others. But we can only do that when we stay in community together and love and serve one another. And so I just want to kind of pray by finishing. Um, finish by praying, I think I meant. But I want to finish by praying for you guys on this quite difficult topic. And it's not something we all leap to talk about, but it's in the text. So we talk about it. So maybe you want to just close your eyes. Open your hands. I'm just going to lead you in a little bit of a prayer for us. And maybe there's some things that you've not thought about before and some things you've got to grapple with. Or maybe you know some of you now are already going through periods of difficulty and hardship and suffering. And you're just, you're in that kind of, how do I react to this? And I want to urge you to say, do not be like Phygelus and Homogenes. Do not be numbered with those guys. They blew it. Be like an Esiphorus who got mercy from God and was acknowledged by Paul and is now captured for eternity in God's word in beautiful, loving words. So Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching Paul gave Timothy, which he's also giving to us. Lord, we thank you that this letter that he wrote as he faced death 
to encourage his young friend, the one he loves so much, Lord, can also do the same for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that he was real about life and he didn't sugarcoat it, he didn't try to hide it. We thank you for his faithfulness, that he ran his race, that he was faithful to the end, that he guarded the deposit you had given him and lived a life that is an example to us all. Lord Jesus, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us now, that we would know more fully your great gospel truths, that we've been saved and called to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of your purpose and grace, which you've given us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which you've now manifested through Jesus coming and dying on a cross. The fact that you've abolished death and you've brought light to our lives through the gospel message. Lord, we thank you that you've called us and appointed us to herald the good news, to be sent out into this world and to instruct others in all that you've taught us. Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare us to suffer well for you when those days come. Lord, we don't seek it. We don't look for it, God. But when they come, Lord, we pray that we would have the grace to stand firm in it. Lord God, make us like an Esiphorus who searched and served and was not ashamed of Paul's chains and gave of himself to serve others. Lord, make us like that, Lord, that when we face suffering, we keep going, not in our own strength, but in yours. By the Holy Spirit, God, would you bring your gospel to light in our lives more and more, that we would know more of it fully, deeply, that we would study our word, that we'd read and we would pray, that we'd stay part of your community, the church, and find mutual encouragement there. Lord God, we love you, we praise you, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all, guys. Love you. Keep going. Benjamin, where are you?